we go to hard places in the world. And the truth is, we need prayer to do it. Prayer is the foundation that this ministry is built on. The ultimate resource that God has provided for us to minister to people. We can't live without it. We can't function without it. We've got to talk to God. So, Father, we, we give you... Things that we didn't think were possible when we get lots of people praying, then God opens doors and He works miracles. And He answers prayer. I was alone in my room. I sit on my knees and I talk to God. God, I need a Bible. A week later, God sent for me a gift. I printed a book. I did find toys, cars, and a Bible. God answered my prayer, and I felt so happy. Por las por lo que orábamos entonces pero después ya se ya se iba un poco poco más así arreglando de entonces sí empezamos a salir yo mis hermanos así mi mami y que Dios nos ha ayudado tanto en nuestra familia que ya vivimos más felices. We learned about God's word and yeah we prayed. It brings this feeling to my heart that yes God exists and He hears our prayers. Jesus loves me, yes! The most important thing that we can put in a box is prayer. Praying for the child is going to get your box. Father, thank you so much for the privilege The big impact at the end of the day is lives that are changed. Children are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what it's all about. So keep praying. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. It's great to see everyone this morning. Uh, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live ac according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. You may be seated. To all of our guests visiting this morning, welcome, and uh, all of our members, welcome. Uh, we are so glad you are here to worship um, you know, every week. For the people who are here every week, it's kind of the same old thing. Uh, but uh, this Connect card is so important. If there's uh, a way you're looking to serve, you can fill that out. If there is something that you need prayer for, uh, fill that out, and we will pray for you as a church, uh, as a staff. Uh, and, and if you're a guest, if you 
uh, would let us know that you came, that you're here. Uh, we just want to tell you thank you for being here and uh, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we hope you feel welcomed and, and that this is a place where we come to, to serve and to honor and to worship the Lord uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, check out everything in your bulletin, uh, the inserts, the announcements, the things with the Fall Festival coming up. I know we need trunks. There's a lot of a, a lot of details in the bulletin every week, so be sure and look through that. But uh, we are so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Thank you, Brother Zach. Talking about Fall Festival, which is next week, I'm in charge of uh, food, you know, like chili pies and all that kind of stuff. And if you want to help with that, see me and I'll make sure you get a spot to help, okay? Tonight we have a flute player coming. Don't forget that. It's in the bulletin. We're going to start the service with the choir singing, Ring the Bells of Heaven.
God be the glory, great things he hath done. Let's stand together as we sing our opening hymn. Join me as we go to our Savior in prayer. Father, we do gather this morning with praise and thanksgiving within our hearts for how that you have done great and mighty things. Back through the years in our life, we sought to walk with you. We give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you for what you're doing now and what's happening in the life of Broadway Baptist Church. These people that make up this strong church. We thank you for our staff, we pray for our pastor as he shares your word with us this morning. And we pray our Father for those that have gathered that have special needs. We are concerned about those, our Father, that are facing uh, surgeries, that are facing challenges and trials in their lives. For those that are bereaved and grieving, we thank you, our Father, for the hope 
and the assurance that we have through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray today that burdens will be lifted and that there will be those that will come to know you as their Savior and as their Lord. We pray for other decisions that need to be made here today. May your spirit have freedom to work in our hearts, and may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
sound but the children of God refused to kneel they defied the king with a fiery zeal they were thrown in the flame that day but you could hear the children say God is able God is able to deliver from the fire he will rescue those who serve him Don't you know that some things never change and our fiery trials are still the same? The saints of God must face the test, but you can stand above the rest. Take courage, friend, and walk on through. The Lord will face the fire with you. Stand with the saints and say, My God will provide a way. God is able, God is able to deliver from the fire he will rescue those who serve him when the flames are burning higher and higher and higher god is able god is able to deliver from the fire he will rescue It's not just about the good things 
offering and tithes that we give this morning that we would glorify you and everything that's said and done. We give you praise in Christ's name. Worship your holy 
stronger 
Thank you, Judy Mary. Thank you so much for that. God's grace certainly does still amaze us. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Actually, you want to hopefully you received a bulletin. You need to pull out your sermon insert, your bulletin insert there. And on one side, you can sign your uh, trunk up to Fall Festival. On the other side here, you can um, certainly follow along this morning. We are talking about what to do when you've made a mistake. I believe for us as believers, this is something as born-again Christians, we must understand what do you do when you sin? What do you do when you realize halfway through doing something, oh, I shouldn't have said that, that was wrong, that didn't go as planned, and it's a mistake, it's sinful, or it might not even be necessarily sinful, it, it can't, you came across as harsh. It's like, a, I have a picture here, uh, it's like falling off a cliff, it's like you're, you're just following the crowd, and next thing you know, you've, uh, you've, you've walked right up, those folks are going backwards, and you're just going along, and you don't realize it, you may be walking backwards one day, and you walked right off a cliff. Some folks walk off a cliff walking forward. But it's certainly possible for us in our spiritual lives to find ourselves making a mistake. And the truth is, we all make mistakes. And the, God is looking at us, okay, how do you respond to that when you've made a mistake? It's hard to believe this, hard to believe this but I made a mistake this week. Um, Sherry was, uh, uh, I was helping, I, um, I was moving my a SIM card from my phone, or it's from a, from her old phone to a newer phone. And I knew how to do that. So I explained to her, I said, and she didn't want to lose all her pictures and all her stuff for her phone to the new phone. I said, it's so easy. You get a little, um, a little uh, paper clip and you pop out the SIM card and you just put it in the new one. That's all you have to do. And, and they have everything. That's what AT&T told me to do. No problem at all. So I come home after being told that, and I say, Sherry, this is what we're going to do. She said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take it to the Apple store because I don't want to lose all my pictures. I've got two years worth of pictures in this phone. We're not losing it. It's all the children, them growing up, and it's very special. I say, Sherry, trust me. I know what I'm doing. It's so easy. And she said, no. I said, yes, give me the phone. I'm going to do it. Like, I know how to do it. And she said, and, and we, we had disagreement. And it didn't get heated, but there was, I knew what I was doing. And it got so bad, she had to go take a walk out in the rain one night <laughs> to go cool off. And I never got her phone, so I think, fine, we'll go to the Apple store. And, you know, I'll show up like I have, you know, first, like, sir, will you help me move this phone? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, <clears throat> it was hard to believe this, but I show up at the Apple store. This was yesterday. It was packed. place packed with folks. I had to take, like, a ticket to get, you know, to even talk to somebody. And it's not that simple to move your SIM card to there. You actually have to save it on iCloud. You have to do a back backup and then re-download it into that. And I, asked, I said to the person working there, I said, if I just would have moved the SIM card in there, would, that would, have, would she have everything in her phone? She said, no. She wouldn't have had anything except for cellular service. You have to do the down. So anyway, I had to go home that day and explain to her that after all, she was right. So that's my first mistake I've made. I mean, that might be you where you have found yourself where you thought you knew something and you knew you were right. And then you find out, no, you're wrong. And that can happen to us. That happens to us all the time. 
In fact, this happens, I'm going to give you some background. In fact, before we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, look in your Bibles, flip back a couple of pages to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because what this is about here, this is a big mistake that the nation of Israel made. And their mistake they made is they wanted to be like the other nations. They looked around all the other nations, and the other nations had something they didn't have. They had a king. Well, and what was going on up until the very first king of Israel, who was Saul, they were led by folks called judges. These were different men and women who the Lord raised up, who were the spiritual leaders of Israel. God was to be their king. They didn't need a king like the other nations. So Samuel was the current judge, and he was a very righteous man. And what happened is the people of Israel start coming to Samuel, and they start complaining, they're saying, we want a king. Samuel, we're tired of this judge's stuff. I don't want a judge. Why have a judge when you get promoted to a king? Give us a king. And Samuel starts warning the people, says, buddy, you do not want a king. If there's one thing you don't want, it's someone to rule over you. So I want you to read these words. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 and 7. Look what it says here. They said to him, that's the, 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 uh, the people of Israel, the Israelites said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. You know, what a kind way to address them. You're an old man, and your children are wild. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same way all the other nations have. There it is. All the other nations. These are pagan nations. They all have kings, so therefore, Samuel, give me a king. We want to be like them. Skip down here, or look, verse 6, I'm sorry. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people, and everything they say to you, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me as their king. God wanted to be their king. Skip down now to verse 18, 1 Samuel 8, 18. When that day comes, this is Samuel warning them. So God says, they want a king? Fine, you'll have a king, but watch what's going to happen. And that he gave all these warnings about the king. Verse 18, it says, when that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. Go talk to your king. The people refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they've said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel listened to the people's words, then repeated them to the Lord. Listen to them, the Lord said to Samuel, appoint a king for them. Then Samuel told the men of Israel, each one of you go back to your city. You're about to get your king. God basically said, fine, if they want a king, they can have a king. God will allow you to fall off the cliff. God will allow you to make mistakes. God will allow you to make a decision where you do not listen to the Lord. Now flip back in your Bible here to 1 Samuel chapter 12. I want to give you some background. So here we have a problem here, and our problem is the people wanted to be like the other nations. This is what this is the same problem today. We want to live our lives 
as we think best and not necessarily God. In their case back then, 3,000 years ago, they wanted a king. And in the, in getting a king, they're essentially denying the Lord as their king. They're saying, God, we're going to have this man rule, or they're, we're going to tell the Lord, say, Lord, we want to have this man rule over us instead of you. Israel is following the other nations. Um, I have a quote here up on the screen. It's from Rick Warren. He's the pastor, pastor out in Orange County, California. Uh, many of you have read his books, The Purpose Driven Church. He, he, Rick Warren said, believers make the mistake of following the crowd. And that's, that's the exact mistake we see here with the Israelites. We're following crowd. The majority is often wrong. Did y'all know that? Most times the majority, they, do, they just follow folks off the cliff. Look at this. Peer pressure keeps a lot of people from doing what God wants them to do. And in this case right here, God wanted to be the king of the people, his, his chosen people, the Israelites. But because of all the peer pressure of the other nations, they didn't want that. So they were going along with the crowd. So now what's interesting, now back in 1 Samuel chapter 12, our original verses, what we're about to read here. Getting up to this point, so God goes and selects a man named Saul. Saul was kind of awkward a king. He's, he's coronated as the king, and what does he go do? He goes and hides in the luggage. It was really strange. He's an odd man. He wasn't much of a king. Get out front. I mean, he gets ordained and runs away. So uh, he's a runaway king, but um, it, God warned him, says, hey, this is who you want. <laughs> here you go. But anyway, what happened here is God was with Saul in his early days. God blessed this king. And Saul in the early days started following the Lord. And they, had, they won a battle. They, they beat the Arameans. So what happened here is Samuel... In, in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, it's really interesting. If you read about it, the heading is called Samuel's Final Public Speech. So you would think, was well, Samuel dying? Is Samuel, is he about to pass away? No, he's not dying. What happened is Samuel was the judge. And he's realizing the people have selected this king that God warned them about. So Samuel's just about to go to his hometown and basically let Israel crash. He says, I'm going to make one final speech. And I'm, going to tell, I'm going to give you some warnings. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you what this is the mistake that you've made. And then I'm going to go and uh, basically go into semi-retirement. What's powerful about this is not only does Samuel ordain, anoint Saul as the first king, Samuel also or, or, ordains and anoints David the second king. So it's not like Samuel's going anywhere right here. So I want you to follow along your Bible. So this is, this is Samuel's speech here in 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're, we won't read it all. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And I think this is powerful for us. And the main point about this is Samuel is convincing the people, guys, you do not realize what you're doing. You are making a grave mistake. And you know, this is like, it's like you have children and they're going down a road that you know is going to end up disastrous. They're making poor decisions, but they will not listen. That is how God... Have you ever met somebody that just will not listen to you? You talk and you talk and you talk and you talk. It doesn't matter what you say. They're just going to do 
people are just going to do whatever they're going to do. And that's how the Lord feels. They just don't listen. Well, that is, uh, that's our problem here that Samuel's running into. He's the judge that no one listens to. Verse 12. Samuel's warning him. But you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you. You said to me, no, we must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Now here is the king you've chosen, referencing Saul, the one you've requested. Look, this is the king the Lord's placed over you. If you fear the Lord and worship and obey him, and you don't rebel against the Lord's command, both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? So the wheat harvest would have been in late May. That's when that would have occurred. I call on the Lord, and He will send thunder and rain, so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord, and that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now what happened here is, Samuel spoke and says, God, make it rain and thunder. Now, in Israel, in, in this location, rainy season, it didn't rain from late April to October. Like, that is a dry season in Israel. It would never thunder and rain. Rain season's during the winter. So what happened is this is in late May when it should stop, there should be no rain. And Samuel shows up and says, I want to show to you that I know what I'm talking about. God, I want to pray to you. You make it rain and thunder. And sure enough, it rained and thunder, and the people are like, oh, well, my goodness, this is not what we expected. And here this man is warning us about this king we're about to get, and we've already gotten him. Verse 19, they pleaded with Samuel. Look at this. This is what they, they realized after Samuel made it rain. Look at what the folks say. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all of our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. They realized when Samuel made it rain and thunder out of the blue, when he did a miracle, when the Lord performed it, they realized they made a mistake at that point. Finally, they're finally going to listen to Samuel, but it's too late. Verse 20, Samuel replied, Don't be afraid, even though you've committed all this evil. Don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't fall away. Don't turn away from following worthless things that can't profit or rescue. They're worthless. The Lord will not abandon His people. That's a promise for us today. Because of His great name and because He has determined to make you His own people. And he goes on to say those next couple of verses. He repeats that. He's encouraging the folks. Even though you sin, even though you're finally now going to listen to the Lord, you need to stay faithful and true to God. Now pull out your white piece of paper right here in your bulletin insert. I want you to follow. We have four fill-in-the-blanks. What what the goal this morning is for, what do you do when you've realized, I have made a mistake? And it's true, there will come a time where we will make a mistake. 
Number one, so you want to make right the mistake. Number one, you must take responsibility for your sin. When you make a mistake, you do not blame other folks. We, we live in a culture of the blame game. Yesterday morning was a blessing at men's prayer breakfast. We had this gentleman named Victor Hazard. Just outstanding. He's a UK administrator. And he works with um, college students. All he does is work college students. Um, and he was telling us, because he's been doing it like, he's 20, 30-something years. He's been doing it a long time there at the university. And he's telling all the guys yesterday morning, says, he, said, he was talking about, basically he said there's two challenges with talk, communicating with college students. Number one, they have something called a phone. And um, students, that's all they do. College students, and now everybody, all they do, they wake up, they're on their phone. They go to class, they're on their phone. They go to bed, they're on their phone. They sleep with their phone in their hand. They're always on their phone. And just his goal is trying to engage college students. The first thing you have to engage a college student is somehow get them to look up from their phone. He says, that sounds silly, but that is a major challenge dealing with young people, get someone to actually look at you. But then he said the next greatest challenge to deal with, with especially younger folks, we live in a day where no one takes responsibility. If a student gets in trouble, do you know what they do? You're not talking to a student, you're talking to mama and daddy. And sometimes the attorney. It just keeps on going. He says, there's no responsibility. That is our culture in 2018. The, 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 the 2018, no responsibility. Someone else, it's their fault. I'm a victim. The problem with that mentality is if you go around and you never take responsibility, you will never understand what it means to be right in the eyes of God. You have to go to the Lord and say, God, I've sinned. This is my fault. I am the one who's guilty. Listen, you can't get saved until you confess your sins to the Lord. The first step to salvation is realizing I'm a sinner. No one today believes they're a sinner. There's no one guilty. Everybody's innocent. It's unbelievable. And if you, if you are guilty, you get an attorney from the billboard on Broadway and they'll help make you innocent. How, whatever it takes, there's no responsibility on your behalf. That is completely foreign to biblical salvation. In order, listen to this, in order to be saved, you first have to realize you're lost. What does that mean to be lost? That means I'm spiritually dead. I'm guilty in front of God. That means I'm a sinner. No one's lost today. Step one to make things right. If you are here this morning and you have said something, you've done something, you thought something, whatever it was, you have made a mistake or you've sinned, your first step is taking responsibility. Listen, the blame game is a disease. It just spreads. Listen, mom, dad, grandparents, if you play the blame game, your children and grandchildren are going to learn the blame game. It just spreads on down the line. You just blame everyone for everything else. Step, step two, what do we do here? You must ask for, first of all, you have to admit you're a sinner. You admit you've run wrong. You must ask for and you must receive God's forgiveness. This is why Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
One of the great things what Samuel did, when, the, when finally the Israelites confessed and they said, hey, we've sinned. You're right, you just made it rain out of the blue. Samuel, we should have listened to you. Immediately, the next step there is Samuel encourages him and says, hey, even though you've sinned, take heart. You just continue to follow the Lord and He will be good to you. The great thing about forgiveness is God offers us forgiveness. He gives us uh, unlimited forgiveness. The thing about forgiveness, though, is it's more than an apology. It's more than just <clears throat> saying, God, I, I've made a mistake. You have to acknowledge and accept Lord, you have forgiven me. I'm now clean. I receive your forgiveness. That sounds easy, but until you get to the point where you realize, I'm at fault, God, this is my responsibility, and Lord, only you can make it right. That's what it means to receive the Lord's forgiveness. Look at number three here. A vague apology... For a vague offense is really no apology at all. It's not. Church is not at all. Have you ever heard someone apologize? <clears throat> what if I came home from the Apple store yesterday and say, Sherry, um, I want you to know I'm sorry if you were offended yesterday, how I acted in our fight over the phone. Is that an apology? I'm sorry you felt I'm sorry you were offended. No, that's no apology. That means nothing. That's what folks do today. You go around and apologize for them being offended. That is not, that is not at all what repentance is. Listen, we're going to, this is what repentance is. Repentance, it's more than an apology. Repentance does not have anything to do with behavior. I've got, these, I've got three bullet points that explain this up on the board. This is what Christ asks us to do. We think of repentance as behavior. Because it doesn't mean you stop doing bad. That's not what Christ is wanting us to do. He's not just asking us to stop doing bad. Repentance means you change your mind. It's a change mentally. You think, Lord, I, I have to change the way I'm thinking in order... I change the way I'm thinking, then it changes my behavior. You change your mind the way you think about things, then you act differently. Listen, if you go around snapping at people and saying cute, inappropriate comments and hurting people all the time, you literally, in order to do that, you might think, you might say you're not going to do it again. But until you change your language and your tongue and the words you use and your outbursts, it won't happen. You have to mentally say, God, I'm going to repent of this sin. I'm going to change my mind the way I snap back at folks. And then your behavior comes along afterwards. You must decide what I'm doing is wrong and sinful. That's what repentance is. You decide that, then your behavior follows along. This is what, this is more than an apology. This is where you're saying, I acknowledge God, what I did was wrong. Israel's finally admitting, we should not have asked for a king. We have disobeyed the Lord. I'm in this predicament, not because of other people. I'm in, I'm in debt. I'm broke. 
I'm in, my marriage is falling apart. My children are wild because of me. I'm ex- I accept this. That is what the, that's what it means to repent. Listen, a bad feeling that you're a crummy person is not the same as conviction of sin. Feeling bad and down in the dumps is not conviction of sin. Conviction of sin saying, God, I have sinned against you. And I'm going to change my mind. I'm completely going to change this. And I'm going to be a different person. My behavior will result differently. This is what Jesus Christ, transforming power of the gospel does to you. It completely changes who you are. And then your behavior follows. Jesus doesn't just want to fix your behavior. He's fixing you. He's giving you a new heart. He's giving you a new mind. That's what it means to be saved. Everything about you is different. Feeling rotten is not the same as feeling repentant. Christ is calling us. When you've made a mistake, when you've done wrong, He's calling you and I, Broadway, to repent of our sins and to change and be a different person. Last thing here. Number four. You know, when, um, when we find ourselves and we've made a mistake, and we know someone else has made a mistake, this is what we tend to do. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, 3 and 5, He gave us this story, and we're good at doing this. It's easy to hold other people to a standard that we ourselves, we don't live by. Mentally, we might think we live by, but our actions do not live by that. And it says here, we have to watch out for the plank eye syndrome. What that means, this is based on Matthew 7, 3-5. It's easy to look at other people and say, well, gosh, they need to lose weight. They didn't dress right. They need to act differently. Look how bad they are. They don't come to church. They're not here this morning. And you can just point out all these other problems with folks. And Jesus told us, you don't want to be like the Pharisees who were hypocrites. They went around pointing out all these problems with these other folks. Yet they had a giant log in their own eye. A plank sticking out. Who are you to tell other people that they aren't living right for the Lord when you've got this board in your eye? First, before you take the speck out of your friend's eye, you need to take the board and the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly enough what Jesus is saying. This is what He's saying. I want y'all to listen. Don't miss this. It's very important. Men, if you're here and you're struggling with internet pornography and you view that stuff every day and you, you feel remorseful, you feel rotten about it, you know it's wrong. It's not what Jesus wants you to do. But you come to church. You sit in Sunday school. You go to men's um, discipleship group. You sit around the other church guys at work. And when someone's teaching and, and uh, preaching and maybe you hear somebody confess... Um, they have a porn problem, you think, well, brother, I'll be praying for you, and I know you'll get through it, amen, God will help you. And you're, you're egging people along in a sense as if you don't have, you give this appearance that you don't have this problem. But you're, you're coaching other people, you're, re- repu- 
you're getting on to other people who do have the problem, Jesus would say to you, who are you to go around condemning other people about pornography when, brother, you're an addict. You'll be on it in two hours from this sermon. It's over. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's so easy to look, get on to other people for their drinking problems, for their addiction problems, when, buddy, once you get home and you shut the doors and you close the curtains, it's you. Jesus knows who we are. He knows our sins. He knows our mistakes. And it's a temptation for us to look at other people and shame them. Even preach against them and teach against them and amen against them and say, well, they shouldn't do that. Buddy, you are just, that's you. You're the man. You know, that's what David did when he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. When Nathan the prophet showed up and told this story about this rich man robbing this little, little um, lamb from a poor man and killed it. Said David, that's you. You're the man. Be careful, Broadway, before you rebuke someone else, before you reprimand someone else, do you have a log? Do you have a plank? Do you have something much more than a speck in your own eye? You have to watch out for the plank eye syndrome. Jesus confronted these type of people. He called them hypocrites. I want you to know something. Sometimes only the Lord knows who a hypocrite is. Because you can fool other folks. You can live a double life. Jesus said the man and the woman who's living a double life, they aren't repenting. They haven't made a mistake. They're a fake. He's telling us sin. Look at this. Look on your little bulletin. Look at this down here at the bottom. Sin has a way of blinding you. Sin blinds people. It's easy, to, it's easy to point out problems with other people when you have this massive issue in your own life. And not only that, last bullet point was here. You should never respond to other people's sin with self-righteousness. That means, God, I'm so... Glad I don't have a drinking problem, but these I pray for the others, these poor souls that do. Thank you, Lord. I'm number one. You're getting on and you're rebuking folks in a sense that you're actually putting them down. That's called self-righteousness. I want you to learn, don't miss this. All throughout the Gospels, do you know Jesus encountered this so much? Do you know he, where he met the folks who were self-righteous? And the plank eye Christians, they were in church. They were in the synagogue. The self-righteous people were the ones walking into the temple in the sanctuary. And they're coming there, and they're, they're the guys standing in the corner, praying very loudly, wanted their offering to be seen, letting it, presenting this fake image of themselves that the Lord saw right through. Listen, our first step you want to get close to the Lord? God calls us to humility. It, it, it takes a humble man or woman to say, God, I've sinned. I'm a fake. I'm a double-minded person. I have a double life. Lord, transform me. That is the cry of what Samuel is telling 
the Israelites, they're begging to be like the other people. And Samuel's warning them, says, you've rejected the Lord, let the Lord be your king. Listen, Broadway, is God your king? Do you take orders from Him? He's an all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful God. He can do anything. Some of us, He's not our king because we, we, we've, we've never made a mistake. We already know everything. Being under the king, falling under the kingship of Christ, Broadway is telling us, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And until you change my mind and I realize how lost and depraved and dependent I am upon you, only then can you change me and then my behavior claim changes, comes along. Are you a plank eye Christian this morning? Do you have a log in your eye? And only the Lord knows this. This is between you and God. You're going around presenting an image, getting on to other people when you are struggling with the same habitual sin. We're about to have our invitation. Jesus Christ is calling us this morning. What do you do if you've made a mistake? Do not miss that first point. You must take responsibility for your sin. Not the sins of America, not the sins of Lexington, not the general sins of the world, your sin. Sin is personal. Mistakes mean I am a child of God. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And every time I sin against Him, I'm re-crucifying Him to the cross. Because he's already, he's already paid that price. He's forgiven me of this. And He knows how we as believers, we know how we're to be living and honoring Him. And when we go about and we say, God, I want another king. When you sin, you're essentially saying, God, I'd rather have this king over here, Saul, instead of King Jesus. Some of us have traded the king, the Lord, for Saul. And the people were disappointed. Saul let them down. Jesus Christ is calling you this morning. He's calling you to surrender to Him. He's calling you to come and confess, and Lord, I'm yours. Change me. Jesus, I pray this morning, if there's folks here who have never surrendered to you, never surrendered as you as their king, Lord, it starts by repenting of our sins and taking responsibility. Lord, don't let us be like so many folks who just play the blame game. Lord, this is personal. Lord, we've made mistakes, but until we confess and admit them, Lord, we will never change. We will struggle with the same old problems every day. God, I pray this morning, if instead of us sitting around looking at other people's problems and looking at people's specks in their eyes, trying to point things out, Lord, is there a log in my eye? Is there a plank? Is there a board sticking out and I don't see it? Lord, I pray this morning that if some of us are here, we know all salvation starts with confession. Lord, we need to walk this aisle and say... Jesus, I'm yours. You're my king. Lord, I pray this is our time. As we flood the altar, as we cry out to you, we give you this invitation as believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing Just As I Am. This is uh, one of the best uh, hymn of invitations we can certainly sing. As 
We always close our worship services. I will be standing down front waiting for you to respond. This is your time to do business with God. So let's stand together. We're going to sing our songbook, Just As I Am. Just as I am without but that thy blood was shed for me, and that service we have a uh, it's called that flute guy his name is david k he will be here he sure will so he'll be coming up so it'll be a very special concert it's going to be a music evangelist going to be here tonight six at six o'clock also if you have any teenagers or if you have grandchildren who are teenagers if you want to drop your children off this coming friday night at <coughs> eight o'clock here at the church they can run wild and all over this place <coughs> for eight 12 hours for our student ministry lock-in unlimited food they'll have lots of fun it'll be a wild time so we have a lock-in here at our church with all the middle and high schoolers have no chaperones it'll be a great time for your uh, for your uh, for your, uh, your teenagers to come up here so, but that is uh i want to share about that then that morning um they're having a packing party and they'll clean up the church at 11 o'clock they're gonna um uh I, for the operation christmas child hopefully you've gotten your all these shoe boxes here in this cross, these aren't decorations. These are for you to grab. So make sure you have a shoe box. They're having a big packing party for them at 11 o'clock on Saturdays to Saturday. So that's this coming week here at Broadway. I'm going to ask uh, David here if he'll close us in. All right, we're going to sing the chorus of the song we sang earlier. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 